that there is no such thing as a balance. Like, Bitcoin is not a bank account. It's actually a collection of individual UTXOs. Hello there from Bedford, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got Shinobi back on the show. As you know, Shinobi is going to be doing a monthly tech show with me, and we've decided over the next few months we are going to be tackling a specific tech subject with each show so today we're going to be hitting on utxos something i know a little bit about but certainly have not spent enough time really considering with regards to managing my bitcoin so we're going to get through that today anyway before we get into this i do have a message from my show sponsors okay we're going to kick off today with sportsbet.io the best place for online gaming because they accept bitcoin yes i've started using sportsbet.io to bet on my team liverpool and you know what we're having a bit of a bad run right now. No worries. I'm keeping calm. I still think we're going to win the league. Also, if you have been watching Premier League football and if you've been seeing a Bitcoin logo, you have Sportsbet.io to thank because they became the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton and they're also the betting partner of Arsenal. They've been putting Bitcoin logo on the Southampton shirt and those Sportsbet logos with the Bitcoin logo in around stadiums. So if you've been seeing that, you've got to thank Sportsbet because they absolutely love Bitcoin. They're doing everything they can to promote Bitcoin. And if you are interested... They have every market you could possibly want. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They have even got esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to find out more. And that is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up, we have my newest sponsor to the podcast, Exodus Wallet, something I've started to use. I'm going to be really getting into that wallet at the end of the month because I had been looking for a wallet to use for managing my business Bitcoin because I'm increasingly running my company on Bitcoin. I pay people in Bitcoin, I get paid in Bitcoin, and I needed a wallet for at the end of the month, I start consolidating my accounts and paying people that I could use. And when Exodus reached out to me, I checked it out and I was like, okay, this could be the one for me. They've absolutely crushed the UX. It's so easy to use. And that really is what suits me just working from the desktop. If you do want to check it out, you can head over to their website. That's exodus.io. You can search for them on Google by searching for Exodus or in the Apple or Google app stores. Also, just search for Exodus. And next up, we also have Casa. Come on now. You've got to check cars around. Look, I know a lot of you have because a bunch of you have been reaching out to me, asking me questions. And look, feel free to if you've got questions about cars. If I know it's a complicated idea getting a multi-sig wallet, you can reach out to me. And if I can't help, I will refer you to the team. But I am so glad myself now to have cars. I've been a customer for eight months. Honestly, it just gives me so much peace of mind that I'm not going to screw this up with my own stupid mistakes. I'm safe from in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. So you should definitely check them out. They've got a product for every Bitcoiner. They've got Casa Gold, which is triple the security of a hardware wallet. They have Casa Platinum, which is their 305 multi-sig. And they also have Casa Diamond, which is their full service offering. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, on to the show today, and I am joined by Shinobi again for a tech update. I absolutely love making these shows with Shinobi, and my New Year's resolution was to try and get better and understand more of the technical side of Bitcoin. I always get shit from Matt O'Dell and other people because I always say, look, I just don't get it. I spend time looking at this, and it just does not make sense to me. I'm more of a creative person. But 
That's not a good enough excuse anymore. So even if I can pick up little bits here or there, I'm going to start trying to do it. Now, Shinobi is going to guide me through this, and we're going to do some specific subjects over the next few months. And the first one we've kicked off with is UTXOs, what they are, how they work, and the effect they have on fees and privacy. And when we do this, I will give my feedback on what I think is usable for normies like me and what I think might be out of reach. What I hope is by doing these shows, we can all learn a little bit more about the tech together along the way. If you've got any questions about this and you do want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I read all my emails and as long as you don't send me some weird shit, I will reply to you. Outside of that, go and check out Defiance. We've got a really interesting show on over the last week. It's called A Borderless World, looking at how people are considering where they're going to base their offices or move because, you know, we're in a very different world right now with all this COVID bullshit. That's available at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great week, and I will see you all on Friday. Shinobi man, how are you? Oh, just sitting here wondering when I'm going to get shipped off to the gulag. (laughs) Oh, man, everything's... uh... Freedom or gulags, right? It seems to be these days. <laughs> I've got a feeling you know where to hide out. I think uh, you're one of the people I'd least be worried about. Uh, and you're funny, actually. I, uh, you know, on the have you got an iPhone? No, you probably haven't. You've probably got some secret underground bunker phone. But on the iPhone, it does this thing now where it shows you photos. I got a photo of you and me, and it just appeared the other day. It gives you these little memories from that one time <laughs> we met. Remember when you got yelled at for posting that? Like, I would have been completely unable to stop that photo from being taken if I could. <laughs> yeah, well, you you do have a beard in it, so it's hard to actually... I doubt I'd... I, you could sit opposite me on a train and I probably wouldn't recognize you. Yeah, I just still find that funny that so many people ran to my defense like I couldn't have been... No, Peter, I don't want a photo if I cared about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, listen, time for me to get a bit more technical. You uh, were kind enough to invite me on your podcast the other day, which was good. I really enjoyed that. And uh, we had a little chat about UTXOs. And the interesting thing about that conversation is I was surprised how much I knew about UTXOs, seeing as I've never really directly used them. Like, I'm kind of aware of a little bit. I think I've picked up some by osmosis. There's certain things, like, for example, when I'm checking the uh, block explorers, I see certain bits of information. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because I sent this much Bitcoin in, and what are all these other bits here? And I think I've, I've I think I'm getting a slight grip of them. But let's set the scene. This is how I use Bitcoin. I use a wallet, and when I want to send Bitcoin, I plug it in. I set the amount, and I press send. I don't do anything with regards to looking at my coins, coin selection, or anything. That is me, very basic user. I imagine most people are. But there are going to be a number of people like you who really care about this. And actually, I'm interested in it. So what we'll do, we'll work through it. And then I'll I'll summarize at the end what I think my use case is and how I might use it in future. But um, you ready for this? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the first place to start would be analogies. Um, No, I think we go even, I think we start even before there. Knowing knowing my audience and the DMs and emails i get i actually think we need to start with what actually is a utxo and why should i care because i don't there will be i guarantee there'll be some people who listen to this episode shinobi and they'll be like i've never heard of a utxo i promise you well a utxo is what your actual bitcoin is um 
you know, like you said, you kind of just open up a wallet and you see some amount of Bitcoins there and you hit send. Well, that is a gross overgeneralization of what actually happens under the hood. There is no such thing as a balance. Like, Bitcoin is not a bank account. There isn't just an account number that has this much money in it. It's actually a collection of individual UTXOs or outputs that are created with transactions and a collection of those. So when you see a balance, what your wallet's actually doing is looking at this unspent output and all the unspent outputs in your wallet and it's adding up how much of them uh, are worth together. Like right. that that balance is is kind of a, an illusion put there to not overload users' heads. So a bit like my daughter's piggy bank, right? There's no balance. Just inside there is a number of coins, pound coins, 50p's, 20p's, 10p's, 5p's, 2p's, 1p's. Exactly. Even, even some notes. There's no balance. The way we get the balance is we empty it out once a year and we count it up and see how much money she's got. And that tells us the balance. The What you're saying is the wallet is exactly the same but the wallet does the job of the counting for us. Exactly. Right on point. Cool. Okay. Well, listen, I like your analogy where you talk about, let's talk about how bank accounts and cash work. So I'm going to, I'm going to hand it over to you. All right. So UTXOs are kind of like a weird mix of how cash works and how a bank account works. And to kind of break that down, you know, you, you want to look at, really how do those two things work like if you are walking into a corner store and you're trying to buy your your meg your eggs and milk to to make breakfast you're you're going to pay with cash a lot of the time so like think about what actually happens you you open your wallet you have a bunch of discrete separate bills or coins worth some amount of money and you pull one out that is at least as much as the, the price of what you're buying. And you just give that entire note to somebody. And then they take out of the cash register entirely different notes and coins to give you your change back. Like th there's an actual exchange um, and, and a breakdown there. Like you're not getting some piece of what you gave him back. You're getting an entirely different thing. Like each of those cash bills is the discrete separate thing, just like the, the coins in the piggy bank. Now, let's think about that when you are using a debit card or a credit card instead. You just have a number in your bank account of how much money you have. That there are no separate bills, separate coins. There's just $220 and five cents in your account. And when you go to pay, you just swipe that card. The store talks to your bank and tells them how much that, that bill was. And that amount is subtracted from your account. That there is no change breaking. There, there is no exchange of separate things. There's just that number gets updated. Now, try to think of a UTXO as a cash note that can be worth any arbitrary amount, kind of like an account. 
And just just think of that process as let, let, let's go through the the store analogy again. Um, well, you th- are you basically you're... saying like in my daughter's piggy bank, rather than having these set coins of one, two, five, ten, twenty, fifty a pound, it could be any number. There could be a fifty-seven p. There could be a one pound eighty-four. There could be a two hundred eighty-five pound. It could be any number. Exactly. Yeah. So so let's say you walk into the store, and you have your your magic cash note that works like Bitcoin. Let's say there's $72.05 on it. Well, you're going to go hand that cash note to the guy at the counter. And metaphorically, what's going to happen here is that cash note gets wiped clean. It's worth $0 now. And that store clerk is going to take one cash note and make that worth whatever you're buying is and the cost of that. And he's going to make another cash note that is all the leftover money you're not spending and hand that back to you. Okay. So it's kind of like a blurring of cash and that bank account and, and how those things work into one thing. Okay, so for the sake of understanding this, I'm going to imagine you're the cash clerk, come to buy a pair of sneakers off you and they are... $75. And in my pocket, I have two $50. Or maybe let's not say that. Let's say I've got a $55 cash note and a $35 cash note. And um, I need both of them because I need to be over the total amount. And I'm going to give you those two. And then you're going to hand me back what because they add up to what's that? 55. That's, they add up to 90. The shoes are 25. You're going to give me one back for 25. Actually, it'd uh, be. 15 but um yeah but in, in instead right, yeah, of yeah, kind sorry, of yeah. but the the core point though is instead of just you giving me those notes and i give you one back i actually wipe those notes clean like they are worth zero dollars now they are useless and i take two blank notes worth nothing and i make one of them worth 15 dollars and give it back to you and I make another one worth seventy five, and I keep that. So it's not just the the change making like cash. It's I'm actually like deleting the value on notes and then assigning the value to blank notes. So this is quite a neat thing that I sounds like it's happening there. That it kind of kind of cleans up the UTXOs quite a bit as well. Because I can imagine if I had a wallet full of lots of smaller ones. I can use all those to pay you for something. And uh, if there's any change back, it kind of clears it up for me. But also for you, it only creates a single one for you. So it's, I guess that it sounds like a way it just keeps, keeps things a little bit cleaner as well, rather than you then suddenly having all these UTXOs. And then over time, as they get split up, they get, you get lots and lots of smaller ones. Yeah. I mean, like uh, another analogy you can use to kind of think about this, maybe a, a little cleaner before we go back to using the the banknote example would be imagine gold coins instead like and what's happening is you take your gold coins and kind of throw them in the melting pot and that cashier casts new gold coins worth whatever he needs to keep and give back to you yeah that makes sense so that was kind of interesting because I, I explained this to my son the other day. He was asking a little bit about Bitcoin, and I was talk to, talking to him about UTXOs. 
And I said to him, oh, well, what actually happens is, you know, you send an amount over to the person and they send you back the change. And he was like, what if they don't send you back the change? What if they just keep the whole amount? Well, that's not really possible thanks to the way that Bitcoin transactions work. Because, you know, in, in the analogy, you're kind of just handing things back and forth between people. But when you actually make a Bitcoin transaction, all of those things have to happen at once. Like when, when you make a transaction, you put your UTXOs that you have into that transaction and then use the transaction to create new ones. So when that, that store clerk gets the money that he's owed, that confirms at the same time and in the same transaction that you get your money back. So that there is no way for you to not get your change back. The the only way you don't get change back is if the person you're paying never gets the money because that transaction didn't confirm. And then, well, you still have all your money. Like it's either the person gets paid and you get your change back or that person doesn't get paid. It kind of clears up a lot with the block explorers as well, because like I say, I used to use them. I used to actually kind of just take a little look at them sometimes when I've got a transaction going in. I didn't really understand what all these inputs and outputs were because the numbers didn't always add up to what I thought they would. But I kind of get it now. It kind of makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. And it's like this is kind of – there's a lot of things that if you don't understand this is what's going on under the hood, you know, can go wrong, like can cost you money can lead to you making decisions you don't understand the consequences of. And like, really, I think this is kind of the most important thing to understand about Bitcoin for any user that has gone past Cash App or Coinbase. Like if you are managing your own coins, I really think if if you are to understand anything about how Bitcoin works under the hood, this should be it. Yeah, because I think there's multiple layers to this, and I think different people will have a different need or a different benefit from them. I think there is the, correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's the efficiency of spending your uh, UTXOs in terms of not overpaying fees. I think there is also um, consideration for privacy. And the the fee thing's quite interesting as well, because my fees have always been, you know, I've rarely spent more than $5 on, on a transaction. And then sometimes you'll see somebody put something on Twitter, you know, some kind of like whale alert. Somebody has moved $500 million of Bitcoin and they've paid $38 in fee. And I was always like, well, why is it $38 for them and it's $5 for me? But that's down to the how the, it transac- uh, the transaction is compiled, right? And how much data is used. Yeah. Like, you know, fees have, fees in Bitcoin have absolutely nothing to do with how much money you're moving. It's how many UTXOs you are using to input into a transaction and spend and how many UTXOs that you're newly creating in that transaction. And that that could be $100 million worth. You could be playing with $10. But the, the fee has nothing to do with that. It's just the number of inputs and the number of outputs. So could theoretically a $10 transaction have higher fees than a hundred a hundred million dollar transaction yes uh, absolutely and if you scrolled through the blockchain um that 
probably happens uh, a couple times every week. Like that's definitely something you would see on there if you started scrolling through a block explorer. Right. So let, let's deal with fees first, because I think that is something that I can immediately benefit from, something I can immediately start doing and thinking about. Actually, there was a third one because I said fees and privacy. Actually, I think there's a third one in terms of tax obligation. If you're somebody who does pay their taxes when they uh, sell Bitcoin, you might want to think carefully about which coins you're selling, because it, depending on which one you're selling, there'll be a different tax implication because usually capital gains is calculated on the uh, how much profit you've made on that coin, right? So that's a that's a something I, certainly some people will have to think about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, th I think we could do privacy first. I mean, that that's really, I think, the easiest way for people to screw up handling Bitcoin if they don't understand how a UTXO works, and that goes far beyond um taxes but that that is definitely a good example um you know it, it let's say you buy um coins on cash app and you pull them off you you let them sit there for a while and you go to sell them at cash app um now the the, the way cash app specifically works and this is going to be kind of different between different exchanges they are going to report to the irs that you sold bitcoin now they might not report when you bought it um because if um if they don't have a guarantee that they're reporting that correctly they will just not fill that in and um that's on you to do that but yeah um that utxo is going to be reported now imagine if you swept a bunch of utxos together um and then that was reported as a sale and let's say you try to lie and say that you bought them all at the most recent price you bought at now nothing may come of that right away um, tomorrow or this tax year but the information to put together that you lied about when you bought those Bitcoin and how much you owe in tax, that is sitting there in Cash App's database. And everything needed to tie that together um, on chain, leaving Cash App and coming back, um, that's all out there. That That is there to put together. If the IRS were to knock on Cash App's door and go tell me every address that you've sent Bitcoin to for this person and tell me every Bitcoin they've sent back, um, they will be able to put all of that together and go, hey, um, this guy lied about the price that he bought Bitcoin at. Um, he actually owes us more money. And the reason is because of how UTXOs work on Bitcoin. Like when you make one transaction and tie all of those UTXOs together to send them to Cash App, you're kind of telling the whole world all of these UTXOs belong to the same person. And Cash App, um, given that they KYC you, actually know who you are. Okay, let's think at a wallet level um, rather than exchange level right now. So I use something like I've got three different wallets. I've got Ledger, I've got Trezor, and I've got Cold Cards. I've got all three I use at different points for different reasons. Ha do you know if I can do coin selection 
in those wallets? Um, Trezor, um, with their web app, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think I saw something a bit ago about them implementing that. Um, I think Ledger did recently. But the the reality is that a lot of the wallets out there that are kind of built and designed for the, the non-technical person, the newbies, um, they generally don't even show you what a UTXO is or give you a way to control the UTXO or pick which ones you're spending. They kind right. of just hide all of that from you and do it for you. But the thing is, none of those wallets... Um, have really any way to know like you peter don't want to spend these two utxos together because let's say hypothetically you pay bills with one and you buy weed off the darknet market with another so you okay, don't okay. want to tie those together right so we, we're coming to the privacy option which i do want to cover with you just before we get to that could you what what kind of wallet allows me to do that is it something like a, a electrum yeah, um, Electrum um, has UTXO control. I, I think Spectre, um, Sparrow Wallet, like a lot of the new multi-sig wallets um, let you do this. Um, Wasabi Wallet does. Um, Samurai Wallet does. Um, because I think if I was going to use this, what I would imagine is that I'd want some kind of table which lists the UTXOs when they were bought, because I'd obviously want to then know the price at which I bought them and the value and i'd probably want to be able to arrange them in terms of date bought and the value the size of each one yeah actually um electrum and um wasabi i know for a fact both have kind of a labeling system um where you can kind of take notes of like where this coin came from where you're spending it in wasabi's case they actually force you to use that they will not let you kind of spend a coin or receive a coin without making a note of like where did this come from like who right. knows about this utxo and can you group coins around specific labels so for example if i knew i wanted to have kind of two sets of coins like one would be my private transactions and one would be kind of not so private so for example if i you know this hypothetically speaking there's things like i want to buy uh, weed porn, Bibles, all the things I just don't want anyone to ever attach to me, potentially, they could all be labelled as private. And then other things I'm not so worried about, uh, I could have labelled separately and I just know, can, can you do that and group them together? Or would you better off consolidating them into different uh, wallets or addresses? I, I don't know if anything or any wallet out there with label support lets you kind of separate them by groups like that. But you, you could have the specific labels so that you know which group things are in. Okay. Um, honestly, I personally, I'm not sure whether splitting up into separate wallets would make things easier or more difficult, depending on how technically competent you are. But it, it would definitely make it a lot harder to screw those kinds of things up. Okay, because... Again, I'm going to try and imagine my use. It's like the trade-off, right? This is a lot of work to do this. New wallets needed. Need to label all coins incoming. Probably need to coin join them as well. You know, that would be an ideal, uh, an ideal as well to protect privacy. It's a lot of work coming in. 
you know, for the protection of privacy. And I'm not saying people shouldn't care about privacy, but for me, I've got a slight higher priority probably around right now is thinking about taxis. And if I ever do sell Bitcoin, I really want to know which ones I'm going to sell. And I think that's like, that's an easy win for someone like me just to be able to yeah, select the right coin to sell rather than the privacy. Cause there's so many layers to the privacy that I have to have in place first. Um, it's stuff that probably comes natural to you, but for me is a it's just a bigger step. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'd say like, I, I absolutely would love to see people use privacy tools in this space more often, but you know, th this is the perfect starting point. I mean, like this is pretty much how I have managed my Bitcoin. Um, 90% of the time I've been in this space, like privacy tools, like CoinJoin, um, you know, coin swap, even lightning are very good tools, but you have to kind of start first by recognizing what those tools are for. And that's yeah. managing the connections that get made between all the different UTXOs you have. And okay. so like if you try to use those tools without understanding what they're doing first and kind of the things you have to do as a user to not negate all the benefit from those, like you, you need to get that foundation set first. And just a final question. If somebody uses something like Casa to protect myself, all my Bitcoin that goes in there just goes in there as a pile, right? Would I want to label them before they go in there and then put them into Casa and would those labels be maintained? Or is it a case of at the point I want to ever use those coins out of Casa, I take them out of Casa, put them in something like Wasabi or Electrum, and at that point, that's almost like my liquid cash. I, I manage those ones. Well, honestly, I've never used Casa, um, so I have no idea if they support labeling. Um, they should if they don't. But it, it just really comes down to no matter what wallet you're in, whether there's a labeling system or not, um, everything is still UTXOs. And all of these consequences can still happen due to bad management and selection. And you, you still need to be aware of that, whether the software gives you the ability to label and make that easier or not. Right. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I think it's going to be baby steps. And I think, I think first step is just playing around and understanding coin selection. Next up, I talked to Shinobi more about UTXOs, but before that, I've got a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay. Let's talk about Kraken. Kraken is my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin. And it's the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. And you want to know why, right? Well, they are consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And as I tell you every week, security is so important to me. They also have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got an issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, they're going to get that shit fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, you have every tool you could possibly need. Whatever your level of experience, if you head over to Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And lastly, this week, but never least, to my good friends over at BlockFi, who have absolutely smashed it this last couple of years. And I've been telling you about this recent announcement. I started telling you about this before Christmas, that they are imminently going to be launching a Visa Rewards credit card, something I've been very excited about, because you 
can stack sats on every single card purchase. Very cool, right? Card users will be able to earn a market leading 1.5% rewards on all purchases. Now, the waitlist registration is open for all registered BlockFi clients. And if you want to join that priority waiting list, you just need to head over to BlockFi.com and open an account. The public waitlist is going to open very, very soon. So keep an eye out for that. And if you are interested in checking out BlockFi, I recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com. That is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Let's talk about privacy, though, because it is important and the mistakes that people will make. And this is the stuff that you really care about about, that we talked about on your podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, pretty much when you make a Bitcoin transaction, not only is that showing the entire world watching the blockchain, um, you know, what's going on with that transaction, you're showing the person you're sending money to all of that information as well. Except in that case, um, it's a lot more likely they're actually going to know who you are. You know, to to kind of really make an extreme example to kind of show people the worst case scenario that could happen here. Um, You know, let's say you're just walking along on the street and for some reason you have all of your Bitcoin on your phone, which you should never do. Um, and, and it's all one big UTXO and, you know, you strike up a conversation with some guy, he notices you, you have a Bitcoin shirt on. So you start talking about Bitcoin and you go, Hey, you know, hell, pull out your phone and download this wallet. And I'm going to give you, you know, $20 in Bitcoin. And when you send that transaction, because you just have all your money in one giant UTXO. Let, let's say you have 50 Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. When that money, when that $20 or whatever shows up in that person's wallet, he's going to see, hey, this guy has 50 Bitcoin. Um, Hello. Maybe I'm going to follow him. Maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see where he lives. Hell, you know, 50 Bitcoin. I mean, that's, that's more than... It's more than a million dollars these days. I think I'm going to rob that guy mm-hmm. because in giving him $20 just because, oh, you know, I can show this guy about Bitcoin. You just gave away the fact that you're a millionaire to this random person on the street. Because anyone can trace it back and see the balance. So you can see the balance of any UTXO that a coin comes from. Yeah. And you can trace that all the way back transaction by transaction by transaction and when that guy sees his output for twenty dollars and then he sees that other 50 bitcoin output that's going back to you he knows how much money you have let's say i i didn't do that let's say i had 50 bitcoin in a single utxo on a trezor and then i send i don't know half a bitcoin to another wallet say a mobile wallet and I have I meet the same guy I hang out with him and I send him twenty dollars. He can see he can follow the the hops back to the fifty Bitcoin wallet, but he can't automatically assume that's mine at that point, right? I mean in theory, um no, but in practice he's going to look back at one transaction that just sent 0.5 Bitcoin somewhere and the rest somewhere else. And then he's going to see you send him money from that 0.5 Bitcoin. And he's going to go, 
99% odds that that 45 Bitcoin or 49.5 is Peter's too. But could it not have been the case of, it's your wallet, Shinobi, you sent it to me, that half a Bitcoin, and then I, from that half a Bitcoin, have, you know, he's, he's got to assume, he's got to make that assumption. There's no actual proof. Yeah, but, you know, what do you think the odds are? And, and this is kind of the sticky thing. Like, you know, somebody might assume just because they make that one hop, like they're safe and that connection is broken right now. But that that's not how this works. Like, you know, you, you have companies like Chainalysis, like all, all kind, like Elliptic, all, all of these chain analytics companies. And when people transact, that there are patterns that just show up in the number of inputs and outputs in a transaction, how those connect to each other. And those patterns are how these companies are able to kind of figure out where Bitcoin is going and what's going on with them. And so like just thinking like I just make this one extra transaction and I'm safe, like that's ignoring all of these patterns that show up that somebody could use to go, you know what? No, that probably is Peter's giant stash of Bitcoin. So so what do we do about that? If I, if I am sat there with this one UTXO with uh, 50 Bitcoin, then what do I do about that? Well, um, realistically, at this point in time, um, there's only really two ways to do that or deal with that. Um, one peel some off of that and coin join it so that after it tumbles through the coin join and you go to pay somebody there's a bunch of interference and a breaking of those patterns so that somebody can't just follow it back to that original 50 bitcoin output or um, peel some off and put it into a lightning channel and make your payments over lightning because you know on lightning people don't see all all of these connections to utxos they just see like somebody zapped me something across the lightning network and that's in my channel now so basically as long as you you want to break the hop yeah okay okay that makes sense that makes sense okay so what what other reasons because we talked a lot about this on your show in terms of what are the other reasons that we should really care about this? There's, there's this security one there in terms of somebody might you know, link that 50 Bitcoin to me and say, okay, I might pay Peter visit at 11 o'clock at night with a $5 wrench and uh, ask him about that Bitcoin. But there's other reasons, yeah? Well, another big one would be fees. And, you know, no, this I mean, I sorry, kind... on, the, on, the, on the privacy side, because you want to separate, oh. like you talked to me before about not wanting people to link transactions you you wouldn't want for example if you were uh sending bitcoin to your mum, you wouldn't want her to be able to track it back and see you've also spent bitcoin at pornhub yeah so that that kind of comes down to one of those patterns um that chain analysis companies use so like we we've already kind of gone, gone over the the basic structure of a transaction like you take the UTXOs that you need to spend as inputs and make new ones with outputs. Well, you know, you, you just have a Bitcoin UTXO 
And I'm assuming that, um, you know, when you spend money on something, you're not spending all of your Bitcoin at once. So you're going to have however many inputs that you needed to make a payment. And then you're going to have one output that actually makes that payment. And then another output that sends the rest of your money back. Well, if you spend Bitcoin a lot, that's going to create a big chain. And it'll pretty much be that UTXO um, going into a transaction and then making a payment output and the change output back to you. And then that change output will go into another transaction and make a payment output and another change output back to you. And it'll kind of just be a long chain of these transactions where there's always one output going back to you and another one peeling off and going to whoever you're paying. And this is called a, a peeling chain. And so if, you, if you're spending Bitcoin a lot, there is just this long connection of your coins in all these separate transactions. And you can see that this is likely one person spending their money because every time it's the same thing. Um, some change comes back and that payment peels off and goes wherever it goes on the blockchain, you know, where, wherever the person you paid wants to send it. And you can kind of see because those payment outputs never come back to your change output. They always peel away from it. Like if, if I were to get paid by you, you know, for any random thing and you keep using that UTXO for payments, I can just look at every transaction that comes before or after the one that you made to me and I can go, Peter paid somebody else again. Oh, there he is buying something else. I wonder what that is. So do and, I need to then coin join every change? Um, I would say no, that would get very expensive very quickly, yeah. but you, you kind of have to think about like what you are buying with this UTXO. And what are you going to buy in future with that same UTXO? And do you want a record of a connection between those things to exist? Mm. That's a lot to think about and manage over time, which is why I said to you before, perhaps you need, I need different UTXOs for different purposes. So the stuff that I don't mind being linked and the stuff I definitely don't want linked. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of work, right? But it's not to say you shouldn't, but I think as you can't do it for every transaction, you just need to really think about them. Like, for example, I run part of my business now on Bitcoin. I get paid in Bitcoin and I pay people on Bitcoin. I'm less worried about people linking those together so much because, you know, it's a public company. And But I definitely would want to separate that perhaps. Yeah, but if, I, if it's personal stuff, I think it's a slightly different story. I mean, you know, honestly... Um in the long term, the only solution to this, I think, is just get payments for daily regular things off chain like that. That needs to move to the lightning network, because really thinking about all of these things for every individual payment you make, it, it's not mm. really tenable for most people. I mean, it, it's even obnoxious as hell for somebody like me. Like, you know, I, I don't. I don't, I don't want to sit here and think about this every time I make a payment to something and it gets 
to be more and more difficult as time goes on because without things like a coin join you know once i use a utxo to make a payment i can't undo that and so i always have to think about the past payments i've made with that utxo every time i make a new one and e even for advanced technical users that's an obnoxious time consuming thing mm. and really the only way to deal with that is stop making those payments on chain like get that onto the lightning network where these payments can be obscured in off-chain channels and you don't see this data for every single payment so where are we at with lightning in terms of capacity the size of transactions that we can do because i think we're pretty com comfortable with bitcoin at any size you know people are sending hundreds of millions but I know with the Lightning Network, there are concerns uh, of a certain size transactions. Where are we at with that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of progress being made these days. Like um, maybe a year ago, every payment on the, the Lightning Network had to go through one singular route. But nowadays, you can actually break a payment up and split it through multiple channels if, if one of them doesn't have enough money to route the whole thing together. And... You know, you know, kind of, kind of from experience. Um, you know, I, I run a uh, small online shirt store, and we take payments over Lightning. Honestly, the the vast majority of payments uh, in Bitcoin instead of fiat are coming over the Lightning network. Um, like it, it's nowhere near as kind of obnoxious, and your payment failed as it was a year ago. And really, the the higher that the Bitcoin price goes, the more transactions lightning can process like you okay, you don't even have cool. to add new liquidity or channels it's just the price goes up that can process more dollar term transactions is, is there a certain kind of size at the moment though you feel comfortable around and you know could you do a thousand dollar transaction quite comfortably eh, i i think that might probably present some issues but you know um like Fifty, a hundred dollar, you know, a hundred something dollar transactions. I have not seen issues with that anytime lately. Right. So we're we're good for a small bag of weed, but if you want to buy a kilo of cocaine, we've got a slight problem. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but that capacity will come. Yeah, I mean that that's really just a, a matter of time and kind of letting the devs work out the the kinks that are, you know, problem points for users. Right. Okay. Okay. Okay, what, what else do I need to know with UTXOs? Well, fees are definitely a really big point. Um, okay. And two things I think that users really need to think about here. Um, one, when you withdraw money that you bought on an exchange... You know, like mm -hmm. everybody's obsessed these days with stacking sats, like the, the, the new way to talk about dollar cost averaging. And like that can present a lot of long term problems, especially for people who are just kind of putting a, a little bit of their paycheck in every week. Yeah, if you're doing like if 50 they, bucks. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, imagine every week you put 50 bucks into Bitcoin and then you immediately withdraw that and make a $50 UTXO. And imagine you do that every week for a year. Now you have 52 $50 UTXOs. And 
really think about that in the long term. Like, let's say, you know, that this person isn't really interested in censorship resistant payments. Like they're not here because they, they want to see the money of the internet. They're just investing in something like that. This is just yeah. somebody going, I, I can, you know, turn my financial situation around and they're just planning on selling all of that at some point. Let me ask you something, well, uh, Shinobi, quickly. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of building a transaction, your fees are based on data. How much of... I'm going to try and work, articulate this as best I can. How much of that data is like a standard amount of stuff that has to go into a transaction? And, and how much does each UTXO incrementally increase the size of that data? Like, for example, if, it, if it's one UTXO and you... you uh, is two U2XOs essentially doubling the amount of data? Or is there like a standard base amount of data that builds a transaction each UTXO adds like 10% more or something? Well, actually, that, that that's a little complicated. And I think uh, we can get into that in a, in a minute. Okay. But, um, you know, like to, to go back to the, the hypothetical sat stacker, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's just investing. He is planning on selling this all at a higher price. And he's bought $50 every week and withdrawn that and made a new UTXO. Well, let's say he did that for a year and he wants to sell everything now. Now he has 50 UTXOs that he has to put into a single transaction to send back to the exchange to sell it. And, you know, like we went over earlier, the fees have absolutely nothing to do with how much money is moving. It's how many inputs there are, how many outputs. So that person's fee is going to be way larger than if he only pulled it off every month and only had 12 UTXOs. And so, like, that is a really important thing to think about in my mind because, you know, for somebody who is just investing in this space, like, look at what happened in 2017 with fees. Like, that's mm -hmm. only a preview of things to come. So how much of that person's, like, what percentage of all that Bitcoin they have are they going to have to pay in network fees just to move it back to the exchange to sell it? It's going to be a pretty big fee. Well, I think but we if need he to only did it once a it. month, though, that would be, like, you know, if, like 52 weeks in a year, he has 52 UTXOs because he withdrew every week. If he only did it once a month, that's only 12. Yeah, so he, I guess, he has a fourth of that. And I guess they could still oh. buy every week on the exchange and then just do the withdrawal once a month. And then they're only, I know we talk about not your keys, not your Bitcoin, but that exchange risk, they're only ever risking up to three weeks at a time, which I would say these days is pretty low risk. Yeah, exactly. That that's kind of the, the major point. Like I, you know, yeah, you should absolutely custody your own Bitcoin. You should store them on your own keys, but you shouldn't take that to the extreme of like every time you buy five dollars of Bitcoin, you're instantly withdrawing it. Because, you know, depending on why you're here in Bitcoin, um, if you're actually here to use this as money long term to hold on to it maybe that won't be such of an issue um you know if that that five dollar utxo is worth a hundred in a couple years and you're just going to spend them one by one but if, if you're here investing in things just to to sell later 
that's going to add up to a massive cost that's going to cut into the profit that you made. But can, can we try and contextualize that? Because like I say, I, so when I create transactions and you know, my fees change, I've, I've really got no idea how many uh, outputs go in and I've got no idea. Say if I, like I say, if I was to make it of one or five, how much of a impact that would have on the fees? Like if the fee was $10 and, would it be $11 with two or would it be $15 with two? I've just got no, and I know you say it's complicated, but is there any way of simplifying it? Well, the simplest way to think about this would be, think about the type of address that you're using. Like, you know, you, you have the old legacy addresses that start with one. Yeah, Betch 32, you have, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have the old multi-sigs that start with three. You have your BEC32 SegWit stuff. Like, each of these are, are pretty much different script types. And so, you know, we, we kind of started this off talking about, you know, think of a UTXO as like a, a programmable banknote kind of like the blurring between that cash note and a bank account. Well, the interesting thing is there, you can add kind of locking conditions there. Like a a UTXO isn't just like, like hand it to somebody. You have to unlock that. And the most basic type of lock is, you know, the, the signature that you make with a private key. So, when you look at you know non-segwit versus segwit um there's differences in the fees that um you pay for those signatures because you have to remember like inputs and outputs okay that's the basic way to look at a transaction but those inputs also have to have the proof that you unlocked the transaction so you have to have that signature attached to that input. And because of that, inputs are actually bigger than the outputs in a transaction. And, you know, with uh, just the simple legacy versus SegWit, um, there's actually a discount um, in the fee for the, the signature data with SegWit. So just something as simple as using a, a SegWit address instead of a legacy address you're going to pay less in fees because you get that that signature discount um, for the data size by using a SegWit signature instead of a normal one. Right. Okay. I know you get this stuff, and I understand there are different addresses, and I understand. Um, I even see it in some of the wallets. They, they, I think maybe it's a, on the Blockstream Explorer. They say, "Oh, if you used a SegWit address, you would have saved fifty-two percent on fees or something or other." I've, I've seen some of this stuff, but. Let's just go with SegWit addresses for now. Again, is there any way of contextualizing you know, one output versus 50 outputs, how much more you potentially could pay in fees? Well, I mean, it's just think of one input with a signature as one fee unit. You know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not, the, the math here is nowhere near this simple in reality, but, you know, for just a user thinking about it, every input you add, add another fee unit. And so it's kind of like per byte of data, like is the, the real way to think about that. You're paying a fee 
for each byte of data you include. And that data is counting the outputs, the inputs, and the signatures that you are attaching to the inputs to, to prove you can actually spend this. And so let's say you want to add new outputs to a transaction. Um, you know, for arbitrary argument, let's say that's only half a fee unit. So each new output that you add adds half of a fee unit that you have to pay for this transaction. But for the input, because you have to attach a signature to it, that adds a whole fee unit. So the, the more inputs you have versus outputs, that's going to have a larger effect on raising the fee. Well, I'm going to push you a little bit on this. Okay, I'm sending $50 a Bitcoin. My fee is, say, $5. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm sending a single, so what is that, about $2,600 of Bitcoin, which is a single UTXO, or I'm sending the same transaction bill of a $52.50. Um, have you got any idea how much that would increase the fee? Does it take it from, like, even a guesstimate? Are we talking about it'll increase it by a dollar? Like, I'm just trying to contextualize how much because i think a lot of people will listen to this and they will take it on down board okay that's something i can do straight away if i'm dollar cost averaging i should definitely uh, do it once a month as a withdrawal from the exchange whilst buying weekly but i still can't contextualize how much the the fee will increase by having those 52 different transactions i don't know if it's a, another dollar on a 10 dollar fee or if it's another 20 dollars well you know that that's kind of the thing. It doesn't really have anything to do with dollars. Um, it has to do with the data. So let's say this input is a a hundred bytes somewhere around there, mm -hmm. and the fee for that is a dollar. Well, you have to remember the outputs are part of that too. Mm -hmm. So let's say. The, the fee just for that input is 50 cents. If you add another input, you're going to pay another 50 cents. And if you add another input, you're going to add another 50 cents. Okay. And, you know, so on and so forth. But if you look at the output, you know, let's say you want to make multiple payments in a single transaction. Well, let's say the fee for the output is only a quarter. So every new output you add, it's going to add another quarter to the fee. And whilst this is not the hugest issue right now, you're also thinking long term. Like if you've held on to these for five years, we could get to a stage where transactions are actually quite expensive. You know, we've had $50 transactions before. I also like I'm quite aware that uh, the speed of what you want the transaction impacts the fee. I, I know, you know, the next block could be like an eight to $10 fee, but um, you could have something there. If you didn't mind it taking about a week, your fee could be quite low. Does it make sense, therefore, to sometimes consolidate UTXOs, but, but be quite happy if it takes a week, two weeks to happen? Absolutely. Um, but the thing you have to think about there is then the privacy. Because, yeah. you know, that really low fee and condensing UTXOs, that could wind up saving you money in the long term when fees go even higher. But you have to make sure to think here, like, do I care about tying these UTXOs together? So you, you kind of have to balance saving money versus maintaining your privacy. Uh, so, so I get a lot. Of, I guess a lot of this comes down to just getting in the habit of 
looking at your UTXOs, trying to manage your UTXOs. Um, and I guess this will be a learning exercise. Like the first time you'll do it, you'll just look at them. The second time you'll be like, okay, I now know, for example, I don't want these ones tied together. But these, this group, my dollar cost average group here, I'm happy you know, I'm happy to consolidate these. But it sounds to me this has just comes down to the experience of using them. And that's something that will come over time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, it's a really important thing to to just understand. Mm. And, you know, I, I think if I, I've answered the fee issues to your satisfaction, it's kind of one more major aspect of this I want to get into. Okay. So your UTXOs all have a lock on them. And, you know, like, like I said, the, the simplest lock is just a signature from a private key. So another important thing to consider here is what data do you have to keep safe to be able to, one, find the UTXOs that are yours, and two, spend them. Now, in the case of just a normal, you know, one um, address key setup, like a, a single SIG address, all you have to keep is your word seed. That's it. You mm-hmm. keep your word seed. You can find your coins. You can spend your coins. That's all good. But there are a lot more complicated locks that you can put on a UTXO than just give me a signature from one private key. Hold on. Can and I just I jump in the, there one second? If you, say, lost your wallet and had to restore it from a private key, could you have lost? would you lose all your labels? Um, yes, if you did not keep the, uh, the wallet file that was in. Okay. So that's another thing you have to keep the wallet file. So if you kept a backup of the wallet file itself, uh, somewhere offline, does somebody, can somebody ever access and steal your Bitcoin with that wallet file? Or is it more just, uh, a file that re, um, kind of relabels all, all of your UTXOs? Well, that, that depends. Um, did you make a wallet file that has private keys on that computer or did you use something like a hardware wallet and then just import the public keys like a watch only wallet um that just lets you find your balances um if you actually well i'm saying like the the difference between like if you open up electrum and just make an electrum wallet um and that's it then yes, that wallet file has your private keys and you need to keep that safe. But if you say, you know, made a wallet on a cold card and then imported that um, file off the cold card into Electrum, your private keys are not in that file. Um, All it has is your addresses. So the worst that could happen is somebody compromises that and then knows how many coins you have, which coins are yours. And it, that really comes down to how you, you generated your private key and whether you're using the software on your computer to just watch your coins or if you're using that to actually sign transactions. We're definitely in the field of advanced stuff here where it would be easy for people to make mistakes. Um, I guess with, I guess over time, wallets will improve and get easier to use on a lot of this stuff. 
will be done for you or explained to you as you use it. But I would be myself quite nervous about this kind of level of complexity. Well, I mean, that that's kind of a... Uh what I was trying to get at before the question, like, you know, mm. with a single SIG address, all you need is your word seed. But look at something like multi-SIG, which is getting more and more popular. Um, that word seed, unless you have all of the word seeds in that wallet, is not enough. Like, you actually have to have the public keys for each... Um, word seed in that multi-sig otherwise you will not be able to find those coins you know you you might have enough keys in the multi-sig to sign for them but if you don't have all the public keys that make that multi-sig address you you can't even find those coins you can't put together the 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 lock script for that utxo to even be able to sign it with the keys you still have and so, like, th this is a really, really important thing going forward long term for anybody who starts doing anything more advanced than just a single SIG address. Because, you know, people are just used to all I need is that seed. Well, if you have a two of three multi SIG and you lose one of those seeds and you did not save the public address for that seed, you just lost your coins because you will never be able to reconstruct that locking script and then prove that you can unlock it because you don't have all the parts of that unlocking script. That's, a, that's, so, what's, that's what's quite neat about Casa. So say if you've got the three or five multi-sig, you don't have to back up the seeds, but if you lose one, you can um, restore a new key and using three of the other four, you can move that all into the into the into the new wallet, um, into the new address. Um, it's quite an interesting thing because obviously backing up seeds is a security risk itself in some ways, and they actually encourage you not to back up your seeds because of this because you don't need them. I don't know if you're aware of this. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware of the setup. Um, honestly, I am personally not very fond of that but I understand why it's set up that way to kind of make things easier for people. And, you know, that, that's, you know, that, that's kind of part of why CASA is set up that way. Because, you know, you move from a single SIG address to a multi-SIG, and now you have this other thing that you have to worry about, besides just keep the word seed safe. And... CASA is entirely set up to kind of hold your hand and safeguard you there. But, you know, there are a lot of people starting to do multi-sig on their own, and that's becoming a really popular thing these days. And, like, that's really important to understand. And, mm. you know, the, the more we go on in time, and the more complicated things that, that Bitcoin is upgraded to do, the more users are going to have to think about this type of stuff. Like that word seed might not be enough to safeguard your coins. Like there might be other data that you have to keep track of, other data that you have to have around to go spend those coins later. And a lot of that data is not something that you can just regenerate from one word seed. Like, you know, Taproot would be an example. Um, 
you know, there, there's a lot of talk of using Taproot for things like, um, you know, security recovery, um, even things like inheritance. And, you know, all of those extra kind of spending conditions or unlock scripts that are hidden in Taproot, if you start making complex UTXO scripts like that, you know, you can't just regenerate the recovery path for your inheritance from a word seed. You actually have to save that information. And if you lose it, then you lose the ability to ever spend those coins with this hidden, you know, inheritance path. Like it goes back to you can only spend this with the plain key that you can publicly see. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think that it just it gets into the realm of some of this stuff's being too complicated, which is why I think there's different levels. There's certain people who who are only going to get as far as using something like Carson will suit them. There's going to be other people like yourself who can manage their own multi-sigs or other more technical people who can. Uh, Carso, I think, is that good halfway house for certain people. But there, there's always these trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there and anything else on There's UTXs? really no way around it. I think we've got through uh, pretty much most of the outline. So I would say for me, like the summary of this is that UTXO is something I've ignored previously. Like I kind of know what they are, what they were, and had a mild understanding of them. But like, why did why would I ever need to actually care? Because you know, I use my wallet. I choose to send Shinobi some Bitcoin. It just does it all for me. But actually, this thing in terms of fees, there's a couple of interesting things for me that definitely to think about that worth thinking about. That dollar cost averaging, I've done it occasionally where I've just bought like $100 of Bitcoin here or there just for whatever reason. You know, it's not crossed my mind that future situation whereby I might have lots of these in a wallet. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I'm interested just to have a look at the UTXOs in my wallet. I think that will be super interesting. Um, also, like I said to you, in terms of tax purposes, if I ever have to sell Bitcoin, it'd be int- I, I would want to be careful about which ones I sold because of cap gains if I was uh, living in a country where I had cap gains. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think those, those are a couple of really important things. Um, I think the next step is for me to have a play with something like, I think I'm going to have a play with Spectre because I've heard so much about it. I think I'm going to have a play with that and uh, see how I get on. Yeah. I, I haven't personally used it yet, but I've like dove through the, the docs and all the features. Um, that, that is a really solid flexible wallet. Um, especially like if anybody, wants to start playing around with multi-sig themselves and instead of a service around that that definitely looks like a good place to start all right man well listen this has been very helpful i think people get a lot from this um i'm interested to see what we're going to do next month now um okay listen as ever tell people how to find out more tell them where your shop is well uh the shop uh, you can find at bitcoinshirt.co uh, if you want to send some sats over for some Bitcoin swag. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore trolls with a Z. And I also do a small podcast with uh, my co-host Janine. Uh, you can find at Block Digest if you feel like diving very deeply into the technical side of things. <laughs> Nice, nice. All right, man. Well, listen, appreciate this. Uh, Very helpful, very useful for me. And all right, see you next month, man. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to it. Okay, what did you think of that? 
I do really enjoy these shows. And I do think Shinobi's a great person to do this with because he does understand the tech in detail, but I am able to push back on him. I am able to say to him, look, Shinobi, I just don't think most people are going to be able to use that. But I got a lot from this. Things like coin selection and consolidating my UTXOs is something I haven't really paid much attention to before. I mean, I've been sometimes buying huge amounts of Bitcoin and other times been buying like 50, 100 bucks here or there. And obviously that really isn't good for my UTXOs. So that was something I really took away from this. I will be taking some look at some other bits of software at some point considering coin selection i think it's something that's definitely relevant when it comes around to taxis and if you are looking to sell bitcoin but i think these shows are going to be great i really appreciate shinobi's work he did all the work up front to prepare for this um, i think next month i can't remember what we're going to do i think we might even look at nodes um, but i think they're going to be really useful for people like me who aren't super technical so keep an eye out for them Anyway, thanks for listening. If you do want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show, reviews on iTunes help. Only takes two minutes. I really appreciate you if you go and do that. Outside of that, go and check out Defiance. We've got a very interesting show up there called A Borderless World right now, looking at how people are considering where they're going to live, looking at charter cities, also the impact upon democracy. That's available at defiance.news. Have a great week, and I will see you all on Friday.